Hi, I'm Tiffany. And I'm Rihanna, and welcome or welcome back to Fresh Off the Broke. Fresh Off the Broke is about personal experiences growing up Asian American in a predominantly white community, Asian media, and Asian pop culture in general. Race has always been a sensitive topic. Every day, they're debates over race. With our podcast, we intend to shed light on the experiences of first-generation Asian immigrants, not put them on a pedestal. We understand that race isn't everything, but there should be an acknowledgement of people of color, the knowledge gap, and the racial divide that will ideally be broken. Now that that's out of the way, let's get into the episode. Today, we're going to be discussing the importance of Asian civic engagement. As you may have seen from our Instagram, today is going to be a collab episode with Asian Youth for Civic Engagement, also known as AYC. We're going to let them introduce themselves, so let's start the collab. Okay, so... Do you guys want to introduce yourselves and tell our audience a little bit about what you guys do? Um, sure. Okay, I guess I'll go first. So my name is Abigail. I am the executive director of Asian Youth for Civic Engagement, which is a student-led organization dedicated to mobilizing Asian American and Pacific Islander high school students for a path of civic engagement, political and social awareness, and finding their identity. Um, I am a rising sophomore, and I live in New Orleans, Louisiana. Hey, I'm Camille. I started ACE, um, Asian Youth for Civic Engagement, about a year ago. Um, and so now I'm just kind of here to be on the advisory board. Um, I was the former executive director. And yeah, I am a rising college freshman and I'm from St. Pete, Florida. So um, what are your thoughts on like the political environment over at the U.S. in terms of like elections and current events? It, it's it's generally very unstable, um, <laughs> much more recently so, especially with the pandemic, obviously, and also with uh, increasingly tense race relations. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a generally very divisive climate, um, I would say so. Okay, cool. We just wanted to ask because uh, we're based in Canada and we already had an election in 2019, so there's nothing really new revolving around that. And, you know, as Canadians, the most we can do is see through the news what's going on in the U.S. rather than actually be there on the scene. Right. Speaking of current events, what are your thoughts on Black Lives Matter and Asian involvement in that? Um, I guess I can take this one. So um, running ACE, you know, we have to be really um, aware of all of the specific issues that impact Asian American high school students and Asian American communities. And recently, mm -hmm. um, due to Black Lives Matter, we've had to bring our attention to um, minority solidarities specifically. And we have opened a separate segment for a webinar and panel series where we invite um, Black queer femme activists um, mm -hmm. who will talk to us about these specific issues and why it's important for us to all band together. And I think specifically, um, you know, this kind of goes back into historical context, but it relates back to the minority myth in a way, which was introduced by the government during the 60s in an effort to quiet, you know, the civil rights movement. And actually, Black protesters and Asian protesters fought alongside one another on issues such as voting and housing and wage issues. However, the government created this model minority myth to kind of essentially tell Black people that if you are submissive and obedient and you do your job without question, you will be rewarded and treated equally as a minority. So they kind of used Asian Americans as that 
you know, quote unquote example to other minorities, which is mm-hmm. why we have, you know, generally in society, we are not as oppressed as black Americans due to, you know, the historical context and also because of the minority myth. Um, but like, we are still silenced and we are obedient and subservient as well. So I think this myth continues to prevail in API communities, which is why Asian political involvement is so low. However, you know, with the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement and how it continues to gain traction, I think it's even more important that the Asian American community stands alongside them and speaks up as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, we all are fighting for the same cause. We're fighting for, you know, equal treatment of each other. And I think it's important that we go against this model minority myth and help out our Black peers. Um, Because at the end of the day, like minority solidarity is the most important thing in terms of changing the status quo. Yes, definitely. You just kind of touched upon it earlier, but could you talk about um, why you started ACE? Yeah, so I think like specifically, I can only speak for, United, for the United States because I don't know what the statistics are in Canada, but um, yeah, no problem. yeah, out of all of the racial groups in America, Asian voter turnout is the lowest of all of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Hispanic Americans also vote at very low rates. And essentially the goal initially of Asian Youth for Civic Engagement was to kind of create a generational change. Um, So focus on Gen Z, people who aren't in, uh, aren't of voting age yet, and kind of mobilize them and inform them and give them the resources to empower themselves and become politically aware so that they are kind of part of the political conversation that has left out Asian Americans for a very long time and become that mobilized force that goes out to vote in the polls. So it's really like a response to like a statistical problem that we see or trend that we see among Asian Americans in mm-hmm. combined with the youth not going out to vote and tackling that specific demographic and ensuring that there are resources um, to for those people to have the incentive to go out and vote. But um, more recently, we've tried to focus a lot more on um, kind of like AAPI identity as well. So Asian American Pacific Islander. Um, yeah. and so not just, not just becoming politically informed, but becoming politically informed about specifically your own identity and how um, being Asian American impacts politics um, and policy. Yes, of course. I'm actually glad you mentioned that last part, uh, being Asian and how that, oh, being Asian American, how that affects politics. Uh, we were going to bring out racism in elections and how that kind of played out. For example, uh, Andrew Yang, when, when uh, his numbers went down dur- during COVID. Well, I guess the COVID outbreak. Um, yeah, I think I can go over this. So um, I guess, you know, based on chronological events, I'd say Andrew Yang dropped out before COVID became a serious issue in America. So I guess him, you know, dropping out wasn't necessarily a cause of COVID racism, but I guess when you look at the article he wrote, um, 
from the Washington Post, we Asian Americans are not the virus, but we can be a part of the cure. That has a lot of correlation between Andrew Yang and COVID-19 racism specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there was a part in his article where he said that Asian Americans have to be more American. We have to wear like American flag swim trunks or something like that. Red, white, and blue. Yeah. So I think you know, I understand what he's trying to say, but the issue is it implies that Asian Americans have to become more westernized and less Asian to be accepted, you know, and this is not just, you know, independent to COVID-19, but also in general, which I think is a big problem because it furthers the narrative that erases API presence and identity in America, and it keeps us out of the political and social and media discussions, and if you, like, look into entertainment now, there are still very few Asian actors, even though we have been gaining more coverage with, um, you know, prominent movies like Crazy Rich Asians, and then getting more Netflix shows featuring um, Asian American actors. Um, Mm -hmm. But still, like in political discussions and in social discussions, like we're rarely included. And even if you look at statistics and polling, sometimes they don't even include Asian Americans in the polling. So I think Mm. like that's an issue that comes out of us, you know, being erased and our identity and presence being erased, um, which is why it's really important that people like Andrew Yang, who represent the Asian American community in the political field, don't say things like, be more American, you know, like wear the flag on yourself, you know, and to like kind of rob you of your Asian identity just so people can accept you. So I guess like in reality, we don't need to be more American to prove our allegiance to the US. Um, I think that being Asian American is an identity, which is, you know, mixed with so many different cultures and so many different experiences in itself, and it should be valued, it should be seen more, we should be heard more. So I think Mm -hmm. people like um, Andrew Yang say things like that, it really harms that kind of um, effort, you know? I was going to say that I totally agree, because it kind of perpetuates the model minority thing, you know, being more American, being more obedient, and uh, fitting the American standard so that we're out of harm's reach. For example, there was this one line in his essay he wrote, during World War II, Japanese Americans volunteered for military duty at the highest possible level to demonstrate that they were Americans. Now, many in the Asian American community are stepping up, trying to demonstrate that we can be part of the solution. Some 17% of US doctors are Asian and rushing to the front line. Like the the part where he says at the highest possible level to demonstrate that they were American, it seems as if people have to push harder to be American at the, at the standard, well, to reach the standard of being American, you know, fighting in the Mm -hmm. war, doing all these things. It kind of plays into the idea of perpetual foreigner, which is just this concept that no matter how long Asians are here or uh, whatever their Americanness is, how integrated they are or assimilated they are into the culture, they will never mm-hmm. be American enough. Uh, I think that's true with Japanese Americans, especially with internment camps where they were just full-fledged American citizens and they were deemed as foreign perpetually um, during the war. And when Andrew Yang cites that as an instance of Asian Americans empowering themselves, it's actually just highlighting the fact that they didn't 
they were doing basically everything they could just to be normal Americans, but they were still viewed as foreigners and they'll be like, people were still racist towards them. Um, yeah, also, I kind of want to add on to that in a modern context. I think even today, Asian American high school students and teenagers, they still struggle with identity. You know, there's always that saying, you are too Asian for America and too white for your home country in Asia. And I think that's a struggle that a lot of Asian American high schoolers identify with. And it is really difficult. And there's a lot of things that sprout from not being able to understand identity or not being able to really know who you are. Um, so I think it's really important for those who represent us in media and those who represent us on a you know greater platform, they really speak to that and tell us that um, it is okay to be both, you know, it's okay mm. to be both American, it's okay to be Asian, and that other people should respect our culture and respect this unique part um, of being Asian American. Mm. Honestly, I think that especially now, there's going to be more people coming together identifying as Asian American because of a lot of, like, children of immigrants coming to America and Canada also. There's more of that first-generation culture that's coming together. Yeah, definitely. Also, like, a Canadian example would be um, Jagmeet Singh. He was ordered out of the house after calling a Block MP racist. The Block MP was against an anti-racism bill. And he was also victim to racist attacks during the 2019 elections. Oh, just a clarification on the Block. So in Canada, our main parties, we have conservative, liberal, NDP, which is uh, New the New Democratic Party, which was the party that Jagmeet Singh led. Well, not led, but he, he was the leader of the party at the time. And I guess he still is now. Yeah, he is, <laughs> sorry. And then the Bloc, the thing is, there's a history in Canada of Quebec wanting to distance themselves from Canada and being their own area. Kind of like a Brexit when they were leaving, the uh, when the, the UK was leaving the European Union. Yeah. And so Quebec actually has a very long history of racism, well, along with the rest of Canada, but it's just, in terms of modern history, they're a little crazier. They have, <laughs> there's many, <laughs> many instances of Islamophobia. For example, did yeah. he think uh, when he was in Quebec campaigning, he would be speaking to Quebecois people, that's what they refer to themselves as, uh, in French, because Canada is a bilingual country, and then people walking by would just shout racial slurs at him because he wasn't the ideal Canadian that they wanted to represent them. Yeah, I think this is kind of like a two-part issue, right? One is kind of Jagmeet Singh and his climb upwards to, um, you know, being represented in parliament as a minority um, while facing all of these different obstacles. So um, I think that that is a struggle that is indicated in, you know, America as well, because it, it's difficult for someone of color, a minority of color, to be able to gain that kind of level of recognition in politics 
um, in the first place. So I, I do, I do think that, you know, him being there is a win in itself, right? It is mm-hmm. an achievement in itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important to have more representation, um, in the institutions that kind of govern us and determine, you know, our futures and the laws that will, that we'll have to abide by. Yeah, I'll let Camille take over, like, this specific instance of, um, Jagmeet Singh and the block, um, MP situation. Yeah, so, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, just based on what I understand of the situation, he was ordered out of the house because he called someone racist, right? Like, specifically saying that. Yeah. Um, was it, like, because he was going against like parliamentary rules or was it was it like an isolated instance like for example like if someone speaks out like that would like if even if they weren't saying that someone else was racist would they also get kicked out um the thing is i I've, I've been well i haven't been to the to a debate in ottawa but i i was at a debate at queens park which is uh, the I guess, Parliament of Ontario. And it, the rules aren't that strict. I, I witnessed a debate about donating plasma. It, it wasn't the most important conversation that they were having, but at least from the rules that we learned, it didn't seem as if if someone just spoke out, they would get ordered out. If someone spoke out, someone would say, hey, if some, someone else is talking, you can talk after them one person at a time. I think maybe because it was more the remark that he called him racist, that people were like, okay, we're gonna, gotta go, calm down, kind of thing. Yeah, so I'm just, I'm just, just, just my two cents here. Like, I think that um, if this was an isolated instance, then the parliament should look into specifically what it makes its exceptions for. Um, But overall, um, it's definitely a good thing for Singh to be represented in the House and to be advocating for anti-racism bills. Um, But probably um, in order to have like more productive conversations with um, people who aren't specifically for the bill, um, I wonder if there could have been a more, a better way to get to the other person besides calling him racist. Um, Because it seems that whoever ordered him out of the house deemed him as, like, disruptive, right? And so Mm -hmm. that doesn't really help to the conversation if he's um, not able to even be in the conversation because Mm -hmm. he's being disruptive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, the reason why it was proposed was because of current events. They were trying to pass an anti-racism bill so that, uh, well, I guess it was more just neat thing trying to pass the anti-racism bill because he was the one that proposed it to try to create a safer environment for Canadians, right? And then the Block MP, I, I'm not, like, don't quote me on this, this is more me putting it in my own words, but he was very much against it. And then Jagmeet Singh was saying, so if you're against an anti-racism bill, then doesn't that kind of just make you racist? Because do you um, not believe in the safety? Of it? Like, that's what, that's kind of what happened. I'm, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess, like, 
I understand if someone opposes an anti-racism bill, it would come off as them, you know, being racist. But I think what's more important, and it's actually getting the bill passed in the first place, right? They're in the parliament not to talk about whether this person is racist or not, but the debate about how we will implement this anti-racism bill, right? Whether we should implement this anti-racism bill. So I guess, like, I understand his intent, Mr. Singh's intent. I think it's important to push for those kinds of measures in a country that is divided. Um, I think we should have more representatives that do that. However, when you focus the conversation as, you know, on one person, you know, you are making the debate about that person and whether or not that person is racist or not, when in reality, you should be talking about the bill that you're going to be implementing for all people of color. So I think, um, I wouldn't say, you know, that house is really justified in kicking him out Um, for the whole day but I guess like I understand why because when you stray away from a conversation that would impact people's lives um, I guess you you would be marked as disruptive yeah no yeah I I see where you're coming from because I guess when you're trying to have a productive conversation I think maybe the reason why he reacted that way was because you know personally he was probably upset since he's been a victim of uh, racism, especially during his campaigning. So you could say it was more of an impulse response. Yeah, I I agree. Mm -hmm. You know, if, for example, the two of us were to have a conversation and then because I disagreed with you, I called you something that would turn into a different type of conversation. Yeah, I definitely think so. The atmosphere would change. Mm -hmm. I think... um, I don't know if it is it's a because I'm not really well versed in like Canadian politics um, and how they (laughs) debate things (laughs) but um, I think if it's a set precedent that if you say something like that you know that's I guess out of line in terms of the debate then you would be excused and it has been done before within the parliament I think um, I don't know. I think it's fair to excuse him because it is already an implemented rule. But in that case, you know, if it wasn't, then I don't think it was necessary. I think it's all about what precedents were set before and what the actual conversation um, is about, you know? Yes, I agree. Uh, one thing that I wanted to bring up since you we were talking about Disney thing and how the whole when you're trying to have a productive conversation, sometimes maybe saying that someone's racist or, I don't know, making a bold statement could lead to a a different atmosphere in the conversation. Have either of you seen the TikTok that um, a Harvard graduate made recently? She basically threatened to, well, not threatened, but she said that if she stabbed an All Lives Matter person, Oh, watch them bleed out and then show them her paper cut on her finger and say, but all stab wounds matter or something like that. Yeah. Hang on. I'm going to, I'm going to play it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cassidy to say all lives matter. I'm going to stab you. I'm going to stab you. And while you're struggling and bleeding out, I'm going to show you my paper cut and say, my cut matters too. Okay. that, That was it. Yeah, yeah, I I think that 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 type of um, dialogue (laughs) is, uh, (laughs) um, uh, while I can understand why someone would be um, 
frustrated and compelled to make or say something like that, it kind of just sheds a bad light on the Black Lives Matter movement um, because already people are, or the media paints Black Lives Matter as predominantly violent when that mm-hmm, is the mm-hmm. case. Um, and so I think that kind of adds fuel to the fire and not only like makes the movement look bad, but doesn't really convince anyone. For sure. Yeah, no, I, uh, I totally agree because this thing is, uh, as a result of the TikTok blowing up, she lost her entry position at Deloitte she was going to be um, says, incoming government and pu- public business service analyst. Nice. And the thing is, I don't know. Uh, Rihanna and I discussed this earlier when uh, this video came out. But personally, I feel like if I were the CEO of a company and my company stood for, you know, equity and, uh, you know, I'm trying to, I feel like it sounds a little cheesy if you say your company stands for diversity, you know what I mean? But, you know, if, you're, if your company supported Black Lives Matter and stuff like that, I just feel like, because Clara, she hadn't entered her position yet. She was an incoming uh, worker at Deloitte. And I think I personally wouldn't want someone whose video, while it may have been satirical, because she said, you know, while you're bleeding out, I'm going to show my paper cut. She's not actually going to do that to someone. It's still considered a violent threat, and it makes the company look like it's taking on a different uh, perspective on Black Lives Matter. Um, Yeah, definitely. I think, I know a lot of people are defending her, um, you know, because the company fired her, um, or I guess took her off of the internship. Um, um, what was I gonna say? Um, I think, don't worry about it. Um, I don't know. I feel like you have to, when you're up for something like that, you have to take in a level of professionalism mm-hmm. and be careful what you're gonna say and I think that happens on all levels right and I do understand her frustration I guarantee that a lot of people feel that way too but mm-hmm. I feel like posting it on social media a isn't good for herself or her company mm-hmm. and b isn't really good for the Black Lives Matter movement right because they're not trying to fight for you know more chaos they're not trying to fight for division. They're not trying to fight for a quote-unquote like race war, right? They're Mm -hmm. trying to fight for peace. They're trying to fight for equal treatment of Black people and the, you know, the abolition of police brutality. So I think, you know, when you counter those harsh words from the All Lives Matter people, um, you know, and their threats um, with other threats, it makes the situation really heated. And I don't think that's what Black Lives Matter as a whole wants to achieve. Yeah, and uh, at least, well, I saw this through Next Sharp, but in the comment section, there were a lot of Black people saying how she kind of shifted the narrative into something that was a little more violent, and that wasn't the original intent of Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and definitely. they were saying how they appreciated her support, but they didn't, they didn't want people to perceive it as a violent protest, well, not protest, but a violent movement, as that's what they're trying to stray away from. 
because that's the image that people are painting on Black Lives Matter, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, what Black Lives Matter is trying to achieve is um, peacefulness, you know, come to an agreement, come to a deal with the government and with their local com communities and governments to make sure that Black people don't have to face all of these injustices every single day. Mm -hmm. um, and the way to achieve that isn't through threatening the other side and isn't through, you know, expressing your inner frustrations. Um, I guess it's by peaceful protesting, which is what the majority of the Black Lives Matter movement is doing right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of problems with, um, you know, current social media mixing with all this activism because a lot of people are making it a trend. I don't know if your circles are like this, like personal, like friend groups, but it's really sad to see that people are treating it as just some sort of Instagram, like repost blindly, and that's your part of this yeah. movement. Um, definitely. I think personally for me, um, you see a lot of slacktivism is the term, you know, when you just repost something that you see on your page, which doesn't actually contribute to any impact, you know, mm -hmm. I think it's important to educate people using social media as a medium for that. But at the end of the day, you do have to be at those protests. You do have to create um, substantial things to like really maximize your contribution. I understand, you know, there are young kids who can't really donate because they don't have any money themselves, but a better way to show your support, a better way to create an impact is not to just simply post something on your story, but also be there, you know, attend educational webinars, attend mm -hmm. um, protests, right? Um, and I think signing petitions is really important too. But also, I don't know, I feel like another issue with these petitions now, especially since like online activism is like getting really big and growing, it's difficult to tell which pe um, petitions are legitimate and which ones are just mm -hmm, scams. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think the best way to show support is to show up at those protests. It is to educate yourself. It is to find legitimate petitions to sign and to donate to and not just, you know, oh, today I'm just going to be politically active. Today I'm <laughs> going to be an activist and tomorrow I'm going to take a break. So yeah. I agree with that because it's not about posting on social media to show that you're doing more than someone else. Because if that, if the reason why you're quote unquote doing your part is because you want someone to think that you're better than them because you reposted more pictures than them, then that's kind of a problem, right? Because it's like the people that are, well, I guess offline educating themselves and attending protests rather than people because I've seen on social media, there were people that were at protests and then posting for fun. You know what I mean? Some people, yeah. I heard that there are yeah. people that got drunk and then went to the protest because they thought it would be funny. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like we shouldn't disrespect the hard work that the organizers of Black Lives Matter and, you know, all of their supporters and what they do to organize these protests. Mm -hmm. I personally, you know, 
there are a lot of the people that I know, they would deliberately go out on social media to see who posted what about Black Lives Matter. <laughs> and if you didn't post anything, then you are, you know, you are not for Black Lives Matter. And I just don't think that is a good way of seeing who is politically active or yeah, not, you know, sure. because, you know, for me, I don't really feel I've made an impact when I post something or I repost something on my story, right? Mm. I feel like I've made an impact when I'm actually there, when I'm actually organizing things and when I'm being a part of the physical movement. And I think mm -hmm. that is something that a lot of high schoolers don't know how to do, but want to be a part of. So I guess that's kind of what ACE wants to focus on too in the future. Mm -hmm. There was actually a post going around that people that we know were reposting that was saying that I'm gonna, um, I don't know, write down all the usernames of the people who don't post about Black Lives Matter and I'm gonna unfollow everyone. And it's like, there's a, so many things, so many reasons why someone wouldn't post about these things that doesn't have to do with the fact that they don't support the movement, you know? Like there's so many different circumstances and people are taking it pretty far when it comes to trying to show their support, but sometimes it ends up backstabbing them. Right. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I think um, I'm, for one, I'm really glad that people are, you know, trying to get themselves to be civically and politically engaged. I'm glad that so many young people are educating themselves about these really important social movements and these really important mm -hmm. issues. And, you know, when you talk to a regular Gen Z or now, like, they'll say the most in-depth, they'll give you the most in-depth analysis of, um, all of these different issues, right? And you come out of that conversation being more, I guess, enlightened, more intellectually enlightened. And I think that's really important. That's a really important quality in a cohort of people that will be voting in the future. So um, I'm glad that so many young people are taking the time to educating, to educate themselves. But I also think, you know, this, the presence of social media in itself um, for one, accelerates learning about social issues, but also hinders your actual impact. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess one positive aspect of the social media activism thing would be, I, I'm sure you probably know this, but Trump rallies, uh, K-pop Twitter and TikTok, they were buying tickets so that no one would show up to the Trump rally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Camille, do you want to take that one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, to an extent, performative activism can be a little bit damaging insofar as that it, the impact is just that. It's, it's just performative. But I also think that we live in the age of information. And uh, in, in addition, or, or the, the reason that our generation is more informed or at least a little bit more politically involved or passionate about these things is because we have more access to information. And so while your activism shouldn't stop at sharing an Instagram story, it's definitely helpful. Uh, and I think that, I, I mean, I would be lying if I said that I didn't learn something from when somebody shared like an infographic or something on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, for sure, um, in terms of just like digital activism, K-pop stands are like a very strong force on Twitter um, <laughs> um, and, and, and TikTok teens, but um, yeah, they, 
<laughs> I think I think that's a good thing if you're if you're um anti-Trump. Um it it whether it's a bad thing is uh irrelevant, I guess. But it I can I think most of us can say that it had like a very large impact that a lot of people didn't see coming and it's kind of an example of like young people mobilizing towards um you know political action. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um well on the flip side of that, what are you guys like how do you feel about people spreading the joke about vote for Kanye and stuff like that? Because this um, could go pretty <laughs> far. <laughs> I think, um, you know, maybe this is just like the environment that I'm exposed to, but a lot of people are like, don't vote for Kanye. Don't waste your vote like that. You have a privilege yeah. to vote in this country. It is mm. an actual privilege to vote in this country. You know, a lot of people, like they are prevented from voting um, in the places that they live. They don't like, they can't meet those times where the voting polls close. And, you know, it's a privilege to vote. So don't waste your vote on somebody who is probably going to throw away the presidency, right? Yeah. If you want actual mm-hmm. change, you know, and you want to vote Trump out, vote for someone who, like, has the ability to do that. Don't vote for someone who will, A, throw away the presidency, and you will throw away your vote, so. For yeah. sure. Um, um, <laughs> I, I definitely like, an overwhelming amount of people say that we shouldn't vote for him, and to be honest, I don't know a single person who has... <laughs> for him um but i think it's a good thing i think it's a good thing that like the general public is in favor of like not supporting this random celebrity candidate yeah Mm -hmm. i don't know i think it's just because our generation really likes memes and so certain things whether or not people are supporting vote for kanye it spreads because some some people view it as a joke they might not they might not necessarily vote for him because they think it's a joke but they're going to spread it on social media and then that kind of disrupts the important conversations that we should be having. Yeah, definitely. Oh, so this last segment that we're gonna do is basically a call to action telling Asians and, you know, Gen Z Asians, millennial Asians, especially to be politically active and to vote in the upcoming election. Oh, I guess, Camille, do you wanna take this one? Um, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think Right now we're seeing a big problem um, with millennials and like people who are in Gen Z um, being like maybe registered to vote, but just like not going out to vote. Um, There's just like a low turnout overall. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that it's like a very large voting block and um, you know, whatever political party um, these people predominantly support, if they went out and voted, um, and more mobilized and uh, incentivized to do so, then it would create like huge significant political change. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the whole, well, I don't really like either candidates, so I'm just not going to vote. How do you feel about that type of opinion or perspective? I think it definitely comes from a place of privilege. Um, people <laughs> deciding that yes. they aren't going to exercise the opportunity to have a voice in the government or in politics. Um, it's definitely like the two-party system in America is reflective of you know, centuries of uh, growing political division and kind of a false dichotomy in terms of political ideology. Um, But there's not really a way to fix it if you don't participate in it. Um, If you're just exempting yourself from the situation, nothing is going to happen. You're protesting something, but only like in a very abstract way, not in a material way. Um, Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, definitely. I think that's why it's good that organizations kind of like ACE and um, also like Fresh Off the Broke exist. You know, we are here to mobilize um, high school students to become politically engaged, to have an opinion, and to recognize that they have the ability to vote and that is valued. And I definitely think that if we could come together and create a bigger effort to register people to vote, to make them understand the importance of their vote and how it actually does change the status quo, um, I think more people would have an opinion in terms of, you know, who they want to vote for. I think for me personally, I joined ACE when I was, you know, in freshman year um, and also in eighth grade, kind of in that between um, section of time and I think I was just starting to get into activism and understand what it means to be politically active and I think by being that I understand how important um, you know voting is I understand how important my voice is now I think a lot of people need to recognize that um, especially in a time like this where there is political turmoil at every corner so yeah Thank you so much for uh, having this conversation with us. We thought it was really interesting. Yeah, especially no having the U.S. perspective right. since we can only view from articles. Yeah. Right. <laughs> also, yeah. like I don't know a lot about politics, so. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thank you for having us on. I think it's really important that you know we kind of get our voices out there and hopefully make other people see different perspectives. So thank you. Thank yeah. You. Thank you. If you guys want to find out more about ACE, check out their Instagram at AYCEVote, and they have their website linked in bio. Thank you guys for watching today's collab. See you next time.